In this episode, how do you reach three to four wellheads quickly? Then no more zipper manifolds and cue the music, smooth move, data quickly. Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guests, please, 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 you want to help me support the show, just leave a review. It takes a couple of minutes and it helps your peers find the good ones. And if you have some comments about improving the show, go ahead and give me a two or three star review and then let me know what you'd like to improve. Big shout out to Nutanix, they're a sponsor. If you need help modernizing your data center and run an application at any scale on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. And I'm very lucky today, today I have Jay Morgan on with IBM. How you doing today, Jay? Good. How you doing? Just busy. It's like it was supposed to slow down during the holidays and it didn't and it just keeps piling up. But, you know, that's a good problem to have. Yep. Yep. And what part of the country are you in, Jay? So I'm actually in the Atlanta area. It's been kind of rainy here for the last few days. I love Atlanta. I lived in Roswell for six years. I got my start with Bell South, who's headquartered in Atlanta, who no longer exists. My favorite thing about Atlanta, it has all four seasons in perfect ratios. Like none of them are severe, but you get a real winter, a real fall, a real summer, and a real spring. Sometimes in the same week. Sometimes that's true too. <laughs> that is true. I forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about Atlanta, even though we, we love Atlanta. So I ran across your group at IBM a while ago, and y'all have something that when it was explained to me, I didn't believe it, quite honestly. But let's talk a little bit about what you do and how you're able to move huge data sets in a way that just nobody else is doing. Sounds good. So Aspera is a technology that's been around for a little while. It was brought to the industry in general in around 2004. We were acquired in 2014. And it's a technology that allows you to transfer large volumes of data across long distances in a very efficient fashion. Unlike traditional file and data transfer solutions, such as like an FTP or an SCP or something like that, it makes it much more efficient to transfer data to where you're actually able to transfer large amounts of data in a very short amount of time relative to other technologies. I mean, this is incredible stuff. And the thing I think is so important, and by the way, we can geek out because this is the technology show. We can go as deep into the tech as you want to go. But you're literally talking about moving data sets over long distance, sometimes a hundred times quicker, right, than you could in conventional ways. And in the oil and gas industry, as we sensorize everything and as we have more and more data that we need to move around and do analytics on, the problem with the oil and gas industry is a lot of times you're in the middle of nowhere. So you don't have, you know, fiber to your well site. You may have just an LTE connection or a VSAT connection or, or whatever. And so here's a way that you can actually move those big data sets around. And like I said, in a way I've never seen before. So Jay, what was the beginning of this? Do you know, like what was the spark that fired somebody up to have y'all actually invent this technology? Yeah, so we actually grew up in the media and entertainment industry. You know, uh, think of, you know, big movie houses and things like that. Companies like that, they have to shoot video at one location and then they have to get that video to another location, which may be on a different continent in order to get that data, you know, post-processed and everything like that so that they can get it ready to create an actual movie. And so we grew up in, in that industry. And in those cases, they had terabytes of data they need to get from one location to another. And they had such a problem in trying to get it 
to those other locations over any kind of a network that they would just throw it onto a drive and ship it to get it there quicker. I remember those days, not in the movie industry, but I remember in oil and gas where you had tape backups and people would move those tape backups physically in trucks to other offices so they could have that data as well. Yeah. It's pretty cool because it makes total sense to me. As you're shooting video, especially if it's commercial quality video, it's going to be high resolution. So it's big data sets. And once again, especially if you're shooting on locations, a lot of times movies are shot in the middle of nowhere and you don't have the robust infrastructure. So it makes sense that this was a problem that somebody, I guess, looked at and said, let's fix this. Yes. Yeah. The creators of the technology, that's exactly what they did. They looked at the problem. They realized there's a better way to do things. And so they created a patented technology that we call FASP, F-A-S-P, and it stands for Fast Adaptive Secure Protocol. And that protocol specifically is designed to handle the challenges of long distance transfer. It is able to handle the challenges of both latency, which we also call round trip time, and packet loss. And you know, traditional file transfer protocols, you know, as soon as they start seeing any significant latency or packet loss, what happens is the way the underlying protocol is, is designed to work, it will stop and start to recover lost packets and things like that. And every time it has to stop, once it starts again, it has to ramp the speed up again. It's not able to keep a consistent flow of packets across that network. And so what we did is we created our own protocol that is specifically designed to handle those challenges that will get a consistent flow of data going across the way. And whenever a packet is discovered to be missing, then the remote side will just say, hey, I need this packet. And the sending side will just insert that packet into the stream and it will be reassembled appropriately on the other side. Yeah. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the old way of doing it or the way that's being done most of the time right now is as those packets are lost, the receiving side pings and, and you basically resend that entire group of data again. And what if I understand what you're saying is you're only resending the one bit or one packet that is missing. Yeah, so it's not really not quite like that. When you're talking about traditional file transfer, what happens is the sending side can send a certain amount of data without getting an acknowledgement. And if it winds up too much data out on the wire without the acknowledgement, then it stops and waits for the acknowledgement. Now, if it doesn't get the acknowledgement for something and after a certain time it considers it to be lost, it will then resend it and wait for the acknowledgement. And every single packet has to have an acknowledgement under traditional file transfer protocols that use TCP. And so that's very chatty, number one. There's a lot of back and forth, especially when you're talking about high latency. It takes a lot of time for that information to go back and forth for every single packet. What we do is we use what is called a negative acknowledgement concept, where we serialize every packet that goes across. So both ends know, you know what serial number has been sent and what's been received and everything like that. And basically when these receiving side says, I didn't get packet 678, then it just tells the sending side, hey, I need packet 678. And the sending side will resend packet 678 and in with the stream and it gets reassembled on the other side without having to acknowledge every single packet, without having to stop the flow of data 
and without having to slow things down. Oh, that's really cool. So what I'm picturing is an on-ramp to some freeway in the U.S. And there's some places in the country where each car that's trying to get on hits a stoplight. And you got to wait till that stoplight turned green before you can move. And in other places, they allowed groups of cars to go before that stoplight's hit. Am I getting close with the visual there? I guess, you know, kind of (laughs) in a very high-level way, it's kind of similar in concept. Jay's just being nice. I must be completely missing it. (laughs) So let's get back to some of the features and functionality. So total makes total sense. The movie industry need to move large amounts of data sets around. But when I think about oil and gas, you know, we have these large data sets that we also have to move around. Do y'all have actually some experience working in the oil and gas industry with your Aspera platform? Yeah, we work with quite a few companies in the oil and gas industry. We're relatively new to the industry from that standpoint, but we are growing and we have been working with a number of different companies along those lines. You know, we only have one use case that where we actually have official, you know, approval to use their name. Isn't that funny about this industry? It's like they want to work with you, but the moment you want to talk about, they say no. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we have the same problem with the podcast. We have everybody and their mother-in-law wants to come on one of the podcasts, but the moment somebody wants to mention what company they work for, corporate shuts it down. So come on, industry, we need to help share information. So be okay with sharing your corporate name with companies and letting them talk about it. So Jay, let's talk a little about your use case at a high level. You have a group that you've worked with called Rosen Group, which I actually know pretty well. They're right here in Houston and they work a lot in the upstream side of the industry, which is where the problem of having big data sets and lack of connectivity is very prevalent. So let's talk a little real quick at a high level. How'd you help them? Yeah, so they had uh, large data sites they, they had to transfer. Originally, they were forced to ship USB drives, which could take a long time, especially if you're having to go across continents. You have to deal with customs and things like that. And so it was a real challenge from that standpoint. So they used a couple of different ways of transferring the data. In some cases, they used satellite. Other cases, they were able to use like a WiMAX connection and things like that. And in those cases, you know, they're getting very high latency. In the case of satellite, it's relatively low bandwidth, but satellite tends to be very, very dirty. You lose a lot of packets that way. In yep. some cases, you can get up to, you know, up to or greater than 10% packet loss. And when you're trying to transfer data with 10% packet loss with traditional file transfer, it's very difficult to get more than, you know, in some cases, kilobytes per second or kilobits per second, or very like single digit megabits per second. When you're trying to transfer large data sets, you know, it's almost impossible to get those large data sets across in those conditions. In our case, we were able to make use of the all of the available bandwidth that they had, depending upon the connection. And in those situations, we're able to use that bandwidth efficiently, such that, you know, if you've got 10 megabits per second of available bandwidth, you know, we're able to use, you know, almost 100% of that. You know, of course, you subtract out whatever you have for whatever packet loss you have. If you've got 10% packet loss, then you can be 90% efficient with your transfers or very close to 90%. Whereas with traditional TCP-based transfer, you're going to be talking in some cases 20% or less, depending upon how much packet loss you have because of those challenges. 
Yeah, that is really cool. And it's just, just such a great fit. And VSAT, unfortunately, is sometimes the only communication choice you have, especially if you're you know out in the middle of Africa or offshore somewhere. I want to back you up a little bit. So one of the other things that's become real big in oil and gas lately from the business side is cybersecurity. It used to be only the CSO and maybe the CIO even understood what cybersecurity was. Now the business is having issues because if somebody hacks a pipeline, shuts down a pipeline, well, there's a million dollars a day in lost revenue. So let's talk about the security. Security of Aspera. So security was not an afterthought with Aspera. We specifically designed the product with security in mind. Number one, depending upon which products you're using and which use case you're using, you have a variety of different authentication methods that you can use. And then on top of that, by default, every packet that's sent is encrypted. And by default, it's using AES-128 encryption. You have the option to go to 192 or 256-bit AES as part of that encryption. So that means that every single packet that you send across the network is going to be encrypted. And as part of that, we also you know, have the data integrity and reliability that you would expect with other solutions so that when you send the data, you are guaranteed that the data that arrived at the endpoint was the same data that you had at the start point. That is incredible that every single packet is encrypted. So besides the security, cybersecurity in the network of your client, then it's encrypted even inside of their own network. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have a variety of ways you can do encryption also. By default, the over the network encryption is turned on at all times. You have the ability also with some of our products to actually do what we call client controlled encryption at rest where you actually encrypt the data as you send before it even gets encrypted for the over the wire. Wow. And it gets encrypted with a passphrase. And when you get it to the other side, you require a passphrase in order to decrypt it on the other side. So you have the ability to do that so that when it gets to the other side, you know, nobody can access it even until they actually provide that passphrase to decrypt it. So it adds an additional level of security. Yes, even the client's own network engineers can't see what it is unless they have that passphrase. That would be correct. That is so cool. So let's talk about something else. Let's talk about moving data around. Let's talk about migration. This has to be a perfect fit for migrating big data sets. Oh, yeah. So, you know, whenever we talk about different use cases, one of the things that people always ask is, okay, you know, what about this type of data? What about that type of data? And, you know, the first thing that we say is, you know, from our standpoint, data is just a bunch of bits and bytes. You know, we don't treat any one type of data any different than any other type of data so that we are able to efficiently move any kind of data across IP networks in the same fashion. We don't do anything like kind of behind the scenes. We don't do like fancy compression or any kind of pattern matching or anything like that, that some solutions do, because we know that a lot of data sets either are, number one, not able to be encrypted with any efficiency, or number two, that the data you know doesn't follow a pattern. And so you, we can't do any kind of a pattern matching. So we focus on the efficiency of getting the data from point A to point B. Yeah. And so does it matter what point A and point B is, if it's private cloud, if it's public cloud, if it's on-prem, does it matter? Not really. As long as you have an IP connection between the locations and you are running Aspera software on a supported platform, which we have a large number of different platforms that we support. You know, we support Linux, Mac, Windows, Solaris, AIX, and a number of other platforms as well as mobile. And so we 
support a lot of different platforms from that standpoint. That is really cool. So whatever your network configuration is now, whatever your network architecture looks like now, if you're an oil and gas company, this probably just drops right in. In most cases, yes. Now, there may be some firewall issues you may have to deal with. A lot of enterprise environments are very peculiar about what network protocols they allow. And so you have to open up a couple of ports to allow that transfer to happen. But once you've done that, it's pretty much plug and play. That's cool. So that means as far as from a CIO's point of view, you're not looking at a big cost for a bunch of team to come in and write a bunch of code, right? You just drop it in, you make sure the port's open on the firewall and you're ready to go. So when I think about the old ways of doing stuff, we talked earlier about physically moving media around, whether it's USB drives or tape backups or hard drives or whatever, all that stuff had cost. It also had security issues. But the other thing is because you're using people and vehicles to move that, it also increases a chance that something, an accident may happen. So in some ways you could almost look at this as an HSE metric, health safety environment, where you're actually, since you have, you don't have as many people involved, it actually is safer for the company because you're not having somebody in a truck driving across West Texas to bring a couple of USB drives somewhere. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, same thing, you know, if you're sitting there on a rig somewhere, you know, your only way in and out is either on a boat or on a, a helicopter. You know, that adds to the danger level from that standpoint. That's cool. Something else that's new or relatively new that I think is really awesome is I'm seeing a lot of companies in oil and gas a lot of upstream companies, especially in pipeline companies, they're monitoring their infrastructure. I don't mean IT infrastructure. I mean physical steel infrastructure. So they're monitoring their well sites. They're monitoring their lift stations. They're monitoring their saltwater disposal. And they're doing a lot of this with video, which naturally is big file sizes. I've seen a couple of solutions out there where they're using some machine learning that's actually that's reading the video and understanding what it is and taking the exceptions and sending them back. So it's looking at video 24 hours a day at a well site and there's no tree falling. It says everything's fine. But the next frame, if a tree falls and it sees that a tree fell, it will send that exception back that the tree fell. And then somebody back in corporate, they can log in and look and see what's going on at that site. But if you're able to move this much data, instead of having to send the exception back, if the bandwidth is there, they actually could use this for real-time viewing a video. Or am I off base on that? You are 100% correct there. We actually have a relatively new technology that we've been working with. It's based upon the same fast protocol, but we've added it to a streaming solution. And so you can actually stream lossless data across long distances and be able to get that data to another site in a very quick method. Just a little bit of an aside here, our solution for streaming was actually used in both the Men's and Women's World Cup over the last couple of years to stream live data across continents. For last year's World Cup, they were actually streaming from Europe to L.A., and doing their editing in LA, wow, which was really cool. I realize it's not oil and gas, but you know they're actually editing in LA before they actually send it out instead of having an on-site editing suite like they traditionally do. So oil and gas listeners, if you don't understand the importance of what he just rattled off, they were able to move that high resolution video across continents, right? And such a speed that they could actually edit it somewhere else. That tells you a whole story right there. That's incredible. And surely y'all advertise the bejeebies out of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of articles out there that, that talk about it and I can provide you with some links along those lines too, if you want. Damn it. We're getting close to having ended the show and I don't want to keep talking about this. <laughs> so one last thing, another thing that's happened a lot in the last couple of years is remote collaboration. So my engineers, 
that are doing the wellbore design are in India. The project managers that are actually putting together the project plan are in the UK. And then the teams that are actually looking at doing supply chain are in the US. This has to be a great way for disparage global team to actually collaborate, work together. Oh yeah, definitely. We have solutions that are, you know, not just copy a big file here and there. We also also have some solutions that are available for both on-premise as well as a software as a service offering that allow you to, in essence, you can send what we call packages to other folks via email. And basically they get an email, they get a link in the email and you just click on that link and you can download those packages just to your laptop from that standpoint. So it allows you to collaborate in that fashion as well as you know, have a file repository in a specific location and be able to efficiently download and upload files to that repository very easily. And those files can be on-premise, in the cloud, or wherever you want them. That's really cool. So you're not emailing the data, you're emailing a link. So you're not hitting right. the restraints of email. And then once you click that link, you're now plugged into whatever a spare solution the company's running and everything's right there for you. Exactly. You can do it all in your browser. Basically, you just install a small application and your browser automatically opens that application and initiates the download or upload. Yeah, you talk about easy. Jeez, this is awesome. Damn it, we have to get off the microphone because we're getting close to winding down the show. But Jay, this has been incredible. Just hold on real quick while we pay the bills again. So people, if you want to help modernize your data center and you want to win this really cool JBL Flip 4 speaker, Nutanix is being nice and giving our audience a chance to win. We give one away a week. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click on the link. It's a JBL Floor Bluetooth. I have one of these things. They sound incredible. Or if you want to try to remember, it's the link is a Nutanix.com forward slash OG Tech Podcast. Go check it out. And while you're online, go, go head to the website, OnlyGasTechPodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. We just use that to notify you of really cool stuff that we're doing. And then join our LinkedIn group. Go to LinkedIn. It's OGGN.com. And then finally, if you want to join the street team, it's our all-volunteer group. Go to Facebook. Just search for OG and street team. You get some cool swag and you help us with our social. And if we're in your local area, you get to come with us to our conferences and expos as press. So Jay, this is just blowing my mind that you're able to do this, but it's really cool. If people wanted to learn more about the spare products at IBM, where should they go? So we have a specific website that I'll give you a link to that goes to Aspera and it's IBM.com. Forward slash products, forward slash Aspera. I got it right Thank here. You. <laughs> and, Thank you. Yeah. And folks, we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Jay, if people want to learn more about you personally, where should they go? You can find me on LinkedIn. Yep. We'll put Jay's profile link in there as well. And we'll also stick a link in the show notes for the Rosen case study we talked about real briefly in the show. So go check that out as well. It's really cool. Jay, man, we got to get you back on the show. We were just getting started. I could get like really deep. So let's give it a couple months. We'll get your back on and we'll continue this conversation. Sounds good. And if any of your listeners have questions and they happen to send them to you, we can cover them at that time. It's perfect. And actually, Jay also gave me a link we'll put in the show notes. If you want more information, if you want to learn more about this, they have a, a link where it'll funnel you into their marketing people who will get right back in touch with you. So we'll stick that link in the show notes as well to spare a hyphen sales at IBM.com. Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Uh, folks, we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck for the next month. We have some exciting things coming up, two happy hours, one in Pittsburgh and one in Denver. So the first one will be happening on March 22nd at Bubba's Gourmet Burgers and Beer. This event will be from four to seven and will feature a live recording of Oil and Gas This Week with Jake Corley and Mark LaCour. So be sure to check that out. You can sign up via our social medias. 
we have an Eventbrite sign up and should be good to go from there. The next event will be a happy hour in Denver at Liberty Oilfield Services on April 2nd. Once again, check our social medias for the Eventbrite sign up and sign up there. As some of our social media followers may know, we are headed to Aberdeen, Scotland the first week of March, in a couple days actually, for DokeroCon, creating high impact sales and energy. Dokeroo is excited to launch its very first sales development conference, and OGGN's Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast, so we're really excited to be joining that. The Leaders in Industry Luncheon is on March 11th at the Petroleum Club of Houston. Port of the Future is happening on March 10th and 11th in Houston. Your registration to the Port of the Future conference also allows you access to exclusive events, including TSA Security and Terrorism, Research Showcase, and many more. So be sure to view the agenda and see what they are offering. The Houston Energy Breakfast will be on March 20th at the Norris Conference Center in Houston. The API Energy Houston 3-Gun Chapter will be on March 20th. This event is filling up very quickly, so make sure to get a team in as soon as possible. The BP Energy Outlook 2020 edition will be on April 21st. It's happening online. And this event is about transitions that will take place to a low carbon energy system. That's all for this month, everybody. Hope you guys have a good month and check back in next month to see what events we're having. Thanks. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Temp Podcast a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.